rest of us are going to be following, uh, continuing in the book of Exodus. Uh, this series is called The Great Escape. Uh, today is lesson number five out of The Great Escape. We're going to be in Exodus chapter number four, verses 18 through 31. A little bit of a preface for us, okay? We're going to talk about this, the pictures that we're going to see within the scriptures, okay? The picture we're going to see Egypt is going to be a picture of the world and of sin. You're going to see the Pharaoh that we'll see in our story. He is a picture of Satan. Israel, as you see that reference of the people of Israel, it's actually speaking about the individual believer, a picture of us. And then Moses is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we had a front row seat to an interaction between God and Moses, where we saw Moses try to talk his way out of being used to deliver the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. We heard all of Moses' excuses as to why he couldn't do it, and saw how the Lord patiently yet sternly encouraged him to accept his calling. This morning, we'll see Moses' journey begin in our message, which is titled, Steps of Faith. Let's pray. Lord, we come today thanking you so much for this opportunity, God, to, to hear from you. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that is held in this amazing, amazing book. God, I pray that you help us, Lord, to be sensitive to your Word. Lord, speak to us. God, give us what it is that we need. I know that I've asked you and prayed, God, that you would speak to me, and I would ask God now that you would speak through me. That this not be a human message, Lord, but this be one led of the Spirit of God. We thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Egyptian, or Egyptian, Exodus chapter 4, verse number 18 to start us off. It says, And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they uh, be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. So Moses seeks from Jethro, his father-in-law, who he's been working for for 40 years in the land of Midian, he goes and basically asks permission. He does not abandon or leave his responsibilities. It's important to pay attention to this. He has a deliberate response to the action that God has called him to. He immediately goes and he asks permission. He knows that what he's been called to is a heavenly, a heavenly calling, something that's much, much larger than he. This is a, a grand experience that he has an opportunity to be a part of. But notice this, that he does not lose sight of his earthly responsibilities. He is mindful. We would call this being or acting responsibly, right? Because we could go, man, God's calling me to this. I'm quitting my job and I'm leaving. I'm just out of here. Today's my last day. Woo, just walk out. Is that the right way to do it? No. no. Even though we're being called of God, this is a big thing, man. Moses is being called to do something awesome. But he does not just go, I'm out. He goes back and he asks permission. He handles it right because it's a matter of setting a precedence for you and I as well. It's a matter of our testimony, right? Because what does it say if he gathers his family, gets everything together, and just takes off and leaves Jethro hanging, right? We've all known people that just go, I'm out, that's it, I'm done. And they walk out and they don't leave the right way. Dishonoring Jethro is not going to in any way help Jethro's relationship or understanding of God, and it's not certainly going to help his responsibility or his relationship with his father-in-law. God moves, right? God allows us to be moved somewhere. He works in our hearts and our lives. He moves us out of our job, let's say. He moves us out of our church, let's say. He moves us out of a relationship sometimes. And when these things take place, we have to know how to leave properly, how to leave properly. An example of this would be for, for, for Christine and I. You know, we served in a church for 14, almost 15 years. And when we knew God was moving us out of that church, instead of just going, look, we're done, we're out, I sat down with a pastor, I explained to him, this is what God's doing, this is what we feel like is happening in our, in our church, or, and this is what I feel like God's doing in our lives. We talked for an hour and a half, and it ended on a hug, right? 
It wasn't anything going to be animosity or frustration. It was a matter of me saying, look, you know what? God is moving us on. I want to make sure you understand exactly what's going on, but this will be our last day and we'll be stepping aside. So bottom line is we do it properly, and if we do it properly, we don't burn any bridges for the, path, for the, for the, for the future, but also the fact is we don't want to hurt the people that we're leaving behind. And that's true. You have a testimony at work. You have a testimony of the relationship you're in. If you end up, if you're like, you realize, you know, God's, God's shutting this door, well, have a conversation with them. Don't just stop texting them or send them a text, we're done. And block their number. You hear stories like people breaking up with people, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> breaking up with people over a text or something like that. That is not the way that's done, okay? Leave right. Have a conversation. Communicate with people clearly, okay? So he leaves, and as he leaves, we see this done. He does... Uh, he leaves properly. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And understand, that testimony that's talking about that light shining, that's talking about the lost people that, we're meet, that we interact with in the world around us, but also save people of the relationships we have in the Lord. So he has family support when he leaves. And one of the things that's made me think about when I thought about having family support, when God called us to plant this church, Miss, uh, Miss uh, Loretta and I were just talking about it this morning. She said, Did you ever feel like Moses? You know, like whenever God was like, you know, hey, we want you to do this. Did you, were you thinking of excuses of why you wouldn't plant the church? And I said, you know what? Honestly, no, I really wasn't. Because it was one of those things that God planted on my heart so hard and so heavy. And what was really cool is he gave me, he gave me an image in my mind of this, of this building, right? This building, which was an old abandoned bank at the time. And I looked across the street at the building I'd driven by thousands of times and didn't think about twice. And thought about that old yucky building. And we looked inside the windows and I was like, ooh, yeah, gross. You could see the roof was leaking. All these things were taking place. But bottom line was it, God gave me that image to hold on to. And it's sometimes God works in our human frailty. He gives us a little something we can hold on to to help us. And what he does with Moses, as he did with Moses, what did he tell me? He said, look in your hand. What do you see? A rod. And we're going to see in our message today that rod becomes important to Moses, something he can hold on to. And what happened was whenever we had the, the decision to plant this church, what was wonderful about it when it talks about having family support was when I told my wife, hey, guess what? That old bank up the street? And she's like, what old bank? And I'm like, the old one on the corner. What corner? I'm like, the one that we drive by all the time. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, I'll drive you to it. And, uh, <laughs> and I brought her. And she's like, oh, this? What? And I was like, yeah. And I said, God's told him, telling me that this is going to be a church. And you know what was great about it was the fact that her heart, God had already worked in her heart. So whenever I told her that, she wasn't like, no, 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 no. We're never going to do this. What happened was God had spoken to her heart and given her the same thought. God does not take us to do things that he's not going to, like he's not going to call one spouse and not call the other. God is not a God of disorder. God does things decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says this, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace and in all the churches of the saints. He says, look, bottom line is if I'm going to call you, I'm going to call her. And so when we took that step, it wasn't a matter of me stepping out on faith. It was a matter of us stepping out on faith. Right. Amen. And look what God's done. You know, look at, look at the lives that have been restored. Look at the people we've taken that have come out of drugs or alcohol or broken marriages or whatever it is. And we've seen God work restoration in the hearts and lives of people, not through us, but through the power of God. And that's the key. Moses is learning how to reorient himself from being stuck on helping, depending upon himself, to learning how to depend upon God. And so we see this, this picture here as God calls us to do things. Guess what? He enables us to do them as well. So he enabled me. He gave me a wife that had all the things that I don't have. Organization. Man, my wife's got it, dude. I'm telling you. Looks. She's got it. She's got You name it. Skill. Talent. The, the computers, man. The computer goes down. Guess what? I'm just like, it's broke. We got to leave. Get a new one. You know? She's like, I'll handle it. Don't worry about it. My phone doesn't work. I'm like, honey, 
I mean, but all these things, the things that I don't have, she has, and God put us together for a specific purpose because he had a plan for us to accomplish something, right? So we look at this now in verse number 19. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses and Midian, Go return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. He said, we know in, in Exodus 2.23, we saw that the Pharaoh, that was the Pharaoh whenever he left, that Pharaoh is now dead, and now all the men that would have hunted him are no, are no longer there. And so we see specifically God has a purpose for all things. When we talked about he left, he left Egypt and he went into Midian, and he stayed in Midian for 40 years. 40 years he was in Midian. And we can see there a specific reason why he needed to be in Midian, because those men needed to all be gone in order to clear the way for him to go back. Now, the number 40 is there a significance to that? Because remember, he was in Egypt for 40 years. Then he was in Midian for 40 years. Well, I did a little study on the number 40. 40 symbolizes, the, the, uh, it symbolizes two things, testing and it symbolizes proving. Consider that Moses, like I said, was in Egypt for 40 years. He was in Midian for 40 years. Moses would be called up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And how many days would he be up there both times? 40 days, right? The Israelites, whenever they went into the wilderness, how many, long, how many years were they in the wilderness? 40 years. When Joshua and the, other, and the other spies went across the border to look into Canaan, guess how long they looked before they came back? 40 days, right? So the, over 146 times the number 40 shows up in the scripture. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness how many days? 40. When Jesus resurrected and was on the earth, how long was he on the earth before he went back up? 40 days. 40, 40, 40. It is a time of testing and proving God does everything for a reason. And the more you read the Bible and the more you take the time to go, hmm, wonder why that says that. And you actually look into it, you go, man, God had a purpose behind that and behind that and behind that. There's nothing else on the earth anywhere near complex on so many different levels than this book. And the more you study it, the more it reveals to you the fact that you do not know what you think you knew. I'm telling you, you go to somebody who really knows the word, man, they sit down and start preaching a message. You're like, that's in there? What? <laughs> I did three studies on that. Where did that come from? And they're going, yeah, and you're going, it's there. And they go, and you know, by the way, there's this and there's this. We went to a, to a conference, and one of my mentors, Mark Trotter, Pastor Trotter, was teaching, uh, walking through the book of Genesis, and Genesis 2 and 3, and he's going through there, and I remember sitting there going, what? How, what? Man, I'm writing things down and highlighting stuff in my Bible. It was like being in your bedroom your whole life and knowing your room really, really well, and all of a sudden somebody was like, did you know there's an extra room in here? And you're like, what? Where'd that come from? That's what it was like. I was like stunned, right? So this amazing word, I don't know how to got off on that, but the, this word is amazing. The more we learn about it, the more we study, little things like the number 40, the more we realize that God's teaching us through every aspect of what's going on. Verse number 20. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon asses, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Remember, before he recognized, he said, what's that in your hand? It's just, it's just a rod. It's just a stick. Look now the title for it, the rod of God. It has a significance to him. He's holding on to that rod, and now it's become important. Because remember what God said to him in verse number 17? He said, wherewith thou shalt do signs. He says, with this rod thou shalt do signs. The rod becomes something significant that Moses gets to hold on to. Now, is it possible that he's doing this to give him something tangible, something that helps to help increase his courage a little bit? and help build his faith. Before his relationship is established enough with God, he gives him something to hold on to. When I was looking at this building, and we were like, you know what, and then understand, this building wasn't like immediately available. We went online and looked, and the building did not show up as an available property. It wasn't for sale, it wasn't for rent, it wasn't for lease. So if you took it based upon face value to go, well, you yeah, know, it's not gonna be in there, because that place isn't even available. 
We couldn't find the owners. They tracked down the owners who lived down in South Carolina. But God opened doors and opened doors and opened doors. And when it happened, man, we got the keys to this building. 50 days later, it was done. It looked like this. We had our first service. God took it all and made sure it took place. And we got a list of things that he did again and again and again and again. Provision, 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 provision. God, and every time he would do that, every time he provided something that we weren't, didn't even know we needed, and then we would go look for it and we'd already be taken care of, he was going, just trust me. I got this. I'll take care of it. Hope's coming. Don't worry. It's going to be here. Praise God. So concessions. God makes concessions for our human frailties and helps us to grow in our faith. The rod simply represents the power of God. It's no power in the rod. There's no power in this building. This is, this is something that God does. If you see God do something in this place, it's because of his power. It's not because of anything that we do. It's not the wisdom that we share. It's not the experience. It's what God is doing. So all these things, the whole reason why we exist is for the glory of God. The reason why this church exists is for the glory of God. And we have to all learn that today's not a day about us coming and being entertained and we're just going to come and you know, teach me, teach me, teach me. What we're trying to do is all of us fall in love with the Lord a little bit more. And the more we understand his word, the more we can exalt him for who he is. And that's what today is about. He's molding us day by day. Verse number 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. Right? The rod. But I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. Now, I want to look at that phrase, that he hardens his heart. Does that mean that God is changing Pharaoh's heart and making him unkind? No. Think about this. Do you think this Pharaoh is this kind and gracious guy who's going, man, I just can't wait to bless somebody. I just want to help out these Israelites. I just can't wait to be compassionate to them and offer them some way out. Do you think that's his natural heart? No. What we see here is the fact that God is actually allowing his natural tendency to be maintained. He's not forcing him not to care. He's simply allowing his natural tendency to be revealed. In Romans 1.28, it says this, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, meaning these people made choices, right? They have decided in their own heart not to receive God. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. God gave them over to what came naturally to them, which is a rebellion against God. He is allowing Pharaoh not to face... To, he, understand... Sin always has a consequence. Disobedience always has a consequence. And when you see mercy, what happens in mercy is God steps in and keeps you protected from the very thing that comes along, the consequence that's there. So many times he shields us and we don't even see the consequence. That's the mercy of God. What we see here is God saying, look, I choose not to be merciful. I'm going to hold back. I'm not going to change his heart. I'm not going to intervene in any way, shape, or form. So what happens to Moses or what happens to the Pharaoh is his hardness simply is revealed. Verse number 22, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son. When he says Israel is my son, he's speaking of the unique relationship that God has with the, with the Israelites through the covenant that was made with Abraham, the one that was with Israel and, and, uh, or with Jacob. We see that in Deuteronomy 14.2. Deuteronomy 14.2, the Bible says this, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. And he says, and that, as he finishes that, uh, verse 22, he says, Even my firstborn, the first people that were bound to God by faith. Consider the phrase, is my son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, whom, guess what, would come out of the line of these Israelite people. He would come from this lineage. And the Jewish people have a special place in God's heart. Absolutely, they absolutely do. Is that still true today? Oh, Absolutely. 
In Ezekiel, uh, this is 586 BC, Ezekiel was given this prophecy. Ezekiel says in 2856, Thus saith the Lord God, when I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they, have, they are scattered and shall be sanctified, sanctified means set apart, in them the sight of the brethren, then shall they dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob, which is also Israel. And they shall dwell safely therein and shall build houses and plant vineyards. Yea, thou shalt dwell with confidence when I have ex executed judgments upon all those that, des that despise them, round about them, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Listen to that description. He's saying, look, the Israelites that are scattered all around the world, they're going to be gathered back together. They're going to come back to one central location back on their land, and they'll be surrounded with people that despise them, but I'm going to protect them. Now, when and how were they scattered? Check this out. In Luke 21, 24, Jesus tells us, he prophesies of this, okay? He says this, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. In 70 AD, the Romans, guess what they did? They came in and they decimated the Jews. They destroyed Israel. And the people that survived scattered to every country all around trying to live. So the Israelites no longer had a country. The Romans absolutely destroyed it. That's 40 years after, check that out, 40 years after Jesus leaves. 40 years. So they're continually oppressed. Now, they've lost their country, and this victimization has, carries on for generation after generation after generation. And it culminates between 1939 and 1945 when Nazi Germany, when over six million Jews are gathered up and killed. Now, 1945 is the end of that. 1948, check this out, just three years later. This is 2,534 years after Ezekiel made his prophecy. 2,534 years. The Jews that were scattered all over the world Guess where they return? Back home. They return to Israel in 1948. And in 1948, it is reestablished as a country and recognized worldwide. And guess where the Jews come from? They're scattered all around the world. And they start to come back. And it reforms. And what's amazing about it? Through all of it, right? They maintain their culture. They maintain their language. They maintain their religion. They're, they maintain, their, I mean, their customs, their heritage, everything. There is no other anywhere. There is no more ancient, ancient uh, uh, or, uh, 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 people or an ancient civilization that today is intact. The Roman, the Roman Empire was the most powerful empire on the planet Earth at any time. It can get controlled the largest portion of the Earth than anyone ever has. How much of the Roman Empire exists today? How much of their culture exists today? Their language isn't even used. It's a lost language. Everything about the Roman Empire is gone and destroyed. Yet this little tiny people, these little nobodies, they were always under oppression the entire time. Today, 2018, 2019, guess what? You can go to Israel. And guess what you hear? Their language. You'll see their culture. You'll see their heritage. You'll see their work. You'll see everything still intact. God had a special place for them, and he made a promise to them years and years ago. And guess what? He still maintains that same promise today. In Isaiah 44, 1 through 3, he says this, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, speaking to them, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that hath made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, and thou Jeshurun. When you see Jeshurun, Jeshurun is, a, is a, a poetic term for Israel. Whom I have chosen. 
For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Don't worry, Israel. I'm going to take care of you. Israel. Remember, guess what Israel is a picture of? The individual believer, right? So God has a special place for them. Does God have a special place in his heart for us? Check it out. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only, his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God has a special place in his heart for us. He absolutely does. God's reference of Israel as his firstborn is, a, is in preparation for this next statement. We'll see in verse number 23. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. And if, you th and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So the plague that is actually going to turn Pharaoh's heart is now being revealed at this point in time to Moses. Now, meanwhile, back on the road to Egypt... The family is traveling. Now, it came to pass, by the way, in the inn. Now, when it says an inn, it doesn't mean like they stopped at a Motel 6. It wasn't something like that. It was kind of like a little place where someone would, would gather. Maybe it had been previous fires, things like that. So it says here, and the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Okay? So Moses and his family have traveled. They've now reached this point of stopping. They've stopped. They're going to rest. And what happens here, we're not exactly sure. Either Moses gets horribly ill, like a, a, an illness comes upon him, or he actually faces off against an angel that comes to basically threaten his life, okay? And it says, And it came to pass, by the way, in the end, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Okay? Now, why is this? What is the purpose? Now, because, check this out, as they continue to go forward, there's disobedience that has taken place. These had, we know that he has uh, his kids, and the, the Moses' most recent child is Eliezer. Eliezer has not been circumcised. He, there's a covenant with God, and one of, the, one of the, the tenets of that covenant is that the children should be the men, male children should be circumcised. So this is the one-day lawgiver, Moses, who is supposed to be the example of examples. He has gone forward and not followed what he's supposed to do. And there is chastisement that comes along with disobedience. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what position you are in the church. Guess what? We all face chastisement when we are wrong. God will chasten them who he loves, right? So God wants to work on us and help us to be refined. So he holds Moses accountable. It doesn't matter who we, who we are, where we stand in this church. Understand, we're all accountable to God, but even, think about this, if you are blessed to be in a situation where you're able to teach, if we entrust you to teach somebody else, guess what the Bible says in James 3.1? My brethren, be not many masters, masters means teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. It says, look, guess what? If you're entrusted to teach the Word of God, I'm going to hold you to a higher level of accountability than I would someone who's not going to teach. So you make sure when you teach, you teach what's right, because I want you to teach the truth. Why does it take so many hours to write a message? Because you want to make sure that everything you're writing down and everything that you're going to give is exactly what God has given you, and it is, it is approved by the Scriptures. Now, it appears in the situation that Moses is absolutely incapacitated. Whatever it is that's going on, either illness or being restrained or whatever's taking place, he can't do whatever he needs to do. His Midianite wife, who's not a Jew, guess what she ends up having to do? She has to step in. Verse number 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp knife and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Moses' illness is absolutely is, is, is holding him back. He's not able to do what he's supposed to do. Notice the picture here. Check this out. Moses is dying. It says he came to kill him, right? 
because of sin or disobedience. And we see that he is saved by the shedding of innocent blood. Zipporah is frustrated. She's upset. She's, she's worked up in this moment, and she's cast it as feet at his feet. And, and you can tell that she does not agree with what's going on. It says here in verse 26, So let him go. And it says, So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. So she is, the, the situation's kind of calmed down a little bit. He's now a little bit freer. He's got his breath back, and she's starting to, she basically reiterates the same thing to him. But she is, her issue is not with going to Egypt per se, but it is the issue of the circumcision. She's not in the mindset to continue to go forward, not to mention the fact that because of the circumcision, they're not going to be able to travel now. They're going to have to sit and wait for a few days. So we look at here, and we know what we find out. When we go to Exodus 18, we're going to see in Exodus 18 that actually what happens is the kids and, and Zipporah, they're going to come from Midian. So meaning at some point in time, they return back. To the best we can tell, it looks like this is the time when they head back. Moses goes on forward on his own, and his family returns back to their home. Verse 27, And the Lord said to Aaron, that this would be about three months earlier, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the Mount of God and kissed him. Now, we talk about the Mount of God. That would be about Mount Sinai. That would be in Midian. That's not in Egypt. It's nowhere near. It's actually 285 miles outside of where Aaron would be coming from. When we talk about Midian, that is today. That would be Saudi Arabia. Okay? So he travels 285 miles to meet him. Okay? Notice, it doesn't say anything about Aaron going, well, God, I don't know. I'm not sure. It just says that God talks to him, and he goes. He just responds and goes. So we look at this, he, 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 immediately, he immediately listens, and then also the fact that this is an affectionate reunion when they meet, because he says here, and he says, and he kissed him, right? He goes to find his long-lost little brother. He finds him, he's excited to see him, he gives him a kiss on the cheek, oh my goodness, what's going on? And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. Moses is like, man, you won't believe what's happened, let me tell you about this. this is, uh, and he starts to get, just pour it all out to him, right? Now, I imagine Aaron hasn't seen his brother in 40 years. The last time he saw Aaron, or the last time he saw Moses, all he heard was, he killed somebody? What? They're hunting for him? Where'd he go? What's happened? So he doesn't know anything of what's going on. He hasn't seen him in all this time. So the last thing he knows of was his brother had killed somebody. At this time, Aaron is 83 years old, and Moses is 80 years old, little brother. So this is what Moses tells Aaron. Get this. This is my synopsis of what he gives. God spoke to me through a burning bush that was not consumed. God has heard the cry of his people, and guess what? He's going to help them. God told me that the two of us, we're going to deliver all of the Israelites, over a million people. We're going to take them right out of the hands of the most powerful kingdom in the world, just you and me. God is going to speak to me, and when I'm going to tell you what to say, and then you're going to speak to the people. God said to use this ordinary stick, the one I got right here, this piece of wood, we're going to do miracles with this. Now, understand, Aaron's never seen a miracle. Aaron, Aaron has no idea what he's talking about. He didn't get to see what Moses saw. Then we'll have to go before Pharaoh, right? We're going to convince the Israelites through the signs and wonders that we're going to do. And then you and I, we're going to go to the Pharaoh, and we're going to go, and we're going to convince him too. So we're going to convince Pharaoh. Great. No, and notice Aaron has just escaped that same Pharaoh. He's been under the same kind of rule, the same thing. So he's kind of on the run for his life. He's like, now we're going to go back to Pharaoh. Super. Now, after God, uses, after God uses us to perform the miracles, guess what? Pharaoh's going to say no to us. He's going to deny us altogether. Great. But in the end, it's all going to work out. Let's go. Right? If we put ourselves in Aaron's place, you're like, what? 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 Now, we know that he understands the fact that God has broken his silence and he has that little bit of faith. But we look at this, his willingness to go forward, right? 
This is really, really telling. It's either faith in Moses or it's faith in God. But we know he listened to God when God called him and said, hey, you need to go. And you know what? He went without argument. So Moses and Aaron journey back to Egypt for three months, back from Midian. And verse number 29, and Moses and Aaron went back and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. So they go back. They slip back in through the borders. Now they're back in Egypt. They're going around. They start talking to people, start, start you know, sort of gathering folks together. And what's really neat about this is we look at their willingness to listen because it says that they gathered them together. It wasn't a hard thing to do. We know that the people have been crying out. We know the heart of the people is they're crying out to God because they're in a desperate situation. And what I thought about in this situation is the fact that it's interesting how much when we're desperate, how we're willing to listen to pretty much any solution, right? Even though these two guys show up, they're going, Moses, you're a murderer. And Aaron, you took off and didn't tell anybody what's going on. What in the world's going on? You guys just, now you got to, you're going to deliver all of us? What? What? Right? So we put ourselves in the mindset of where they're at. But it's these desperate situations we find ourselves, we'll listen to claims, any claim. Who's ever had hiccups before? And people go, um... Eat a spoonful of sugar on your, while, you're, while you're staying on your head. And then um, take a deep breath, hold your hands up over your head, spin around three times, and scream, doggy, doggy. And you're like, but you know what? When the hiccups are bad enough, guess what you'll be doing? Doggy, doggy, right? I mean, <laughs> you, you may not do it in public, but you'll be in the bathroom or something like that. You'll do whatever. You're willing to listen to whatever it is, right? And so what we look at here is these guys are going, look, they got, look, we got nothing to lose. Let's listen to these two guys. At least they're talking about getting out of here. We know we're in desperate situation. So we look at this aspect and we go, you know what? Here they've gathered them together. They tell them what they say. Now, it says it here, verse number 30. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. So in front of the elders, they gather them together and they do exactly what they were told. They faithfully deliver the truth given to them from God, right? Faithfully tell exactly what they're told. They don't elaborate. They don't exaggerate. They don't add their own wisdom, Right? And this is an important thing for us to remember. When we share a truth, it needs to be the truth. Amen. Not what we interpret it to be. Not the way it fits in our life. Not the way that we choose, but the way that the Scripture explains it. God designed the Scripture to explain the Scripture. You want to know something in the Bible? You want to know a definition for something? Guess what? You can use the very Bible itself to confirm itself. You want to understand a word? How do you know that the number 40 is significant? You use the Word of God, you find it 146 times, you look at how it's relevant each time, and you go, wow, you know what? God's teaching me something. This book is the wisdom that we're searching for, right? It's in these moments of divine appointment. Our job is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because that's what people need. Now, not our opinion, not our thoughts. Because bottom line is when we share something that's called doctrinally truth, people say, is that a doctrinal truth? That means that it can be biblically proven. You can prove it. Now, you can have something that is your belief. You can have a stance that you take. You know what? I believe the Bible says this. I can't necessarily prove it, right? Like when I, like when I gave the example of Moses, and it says that God came to kill him. I believe it's an illness. I don't necessarily believe that an angel was there to, to kill him, but I believe it's an illness. I, can I prove that to you? No. So is that doctrine? No. Is it in my opinion? Yes. Is it based upon biblical information? Certainly. But bottom line is we have to simply say, look, you know what? If you share something that you believe to be true, let people know that. But if you tell something as a truth, you better be able to doctrinally back up what it is you're saying. Make sure what we say is accurate. Verse number 31, what is the result of them sharing the exact truth and what they were told? And the people believed... And when they heard that the Lord visited the children of Israel and that they had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. 
it impacted them. The truth resonated in their hearts. And God said, look, if you'll just tell them what I tell you to tell them, it'll work. This book, this truth was designed for you and I. We were created for a relationship with God. The void that you have in your heart, the void you were born with, the void that you've lived with, the void that you've searched to fill with all the things of this world that never, ever work, the solution is here. So God created this truth to fit us just perfectly. It's like the, the three little bears, right? This one's too hard, and this one's too soft, but this one's just right. That's what this is. You go into the world, some of it's going to be too hard. Some of it's going to be too soft. And there's only one thing in the world that's just right. And this is it. Amen. The truth. Amen. Right? Amen. It was not Moses or Aaron that convinced them. It was God. If we want to get great things, we want to do great things. And if we try to do them in our flesh, guess what? We're going to fail. It's when we trust in God and we follow the Spirit of God that we can accomplish things that are really unlimited. We can do unbelievable things. What Moses and Aaron are able to accomplish is absolutely unbelievable. They bring over a million Jews, walk out of Egypt. Unbelievably. It would have seemed simply something that would seem impossible. Follow the Spirit. When people are seeking God, they're desiring His truth and not our truth. Now, where is truth? Sanctify thyself, right? John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is Truth. Thy word is truth. This is our answer. People come to you with questions. This is where we point them. People want to know how to grow in the Lord. This is where you point them. It's not a matter of service. Not a matter of, you just need to do more. You need to do this. Service is great. And bottom line is, you know what? You should serve. But you need to build your foundation and your nourishment has to come from this word. If you nourish yourself through service, you will soon be burned out. But I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm going to this, and I'm volunteering here, and I'm volunteering there, and I'm volunteering there. And guess what happens? You become give, 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 give. And what happens to you? You become a void. You end up with a vacuum because you're not filling yourself with what you need. You've got to receive at the same time. And this scripture is designed, this word, this book is designed to feed you and to help you to grow so that you can then give and pour into others. You and I are never the answer to what people need. We are nothing more than a conduit to get them to him. He is their answer. And the relationship they can have with him can change everything. I can tell you almost 17 and a half years ago, 18 years ago, when I was lost, I had a void in my heart that I did not understand. I wasn't, natural, I wasn't an unhappy person. I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't angry necessarily. But I had a void and a hole in my heart that I could not understand. And never being in church, I had never been in church my whole life. No one had ever shared the gospel with me. And I was 34 years old that night. And my wife and I sat and we listened. And for the very first time, the truth of this book, man, when I heard it, I didn't question it. I didn't doubt it. It hit me like a ton of bricks, man. It sat and hit me. It was like that puzzle piece we've talked about. That puzzle piece just went wham. And I felt it and I was like, that's it. That's, that's what I, I didn't know I was even looking for. That's it. And I'm telling you, when I received Christ and he pushed that piece in place, And all of a sudden, the picture became complete. That's right. And you realize why you're here. And you can have a peace in your heart that you can't explain no matter what. Amen. It changes everything. And that's what people are searching for. They want to know it. And guess where? They showed it to me that night. They showed it to us. Straight out of here. And when people are looking for truth, we've got to put them here. All it takes 
to see this truth is to simply follow Moses' example, trust God, and take steps of faith. Let's pray. Thank you so much today, God, for this word that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the example we get to look through Moses' life as God, he is uh, filled with all the same issues and problems and struggles that we have, the same feelings of inadequacy, uh, Lord, the same frustrations, doubts, temptations, all these things. What's beautiful about the Bible is, God, you don't give us perfect pictures of humanity, examples that we cannot follow and we cannot meet, but God, you show us examples of true, real people that suffer just as we suffer. And God, thank you so much for the fact that we get to see not only their suffering, but Lord, we get to see their faith. We get to see them and, uh, as they learn to trust you, God, and as, Lord, you use their lives, Father. It's an inspiration to us to realize that, God, if we'll simply surrender ourselves to you, Father, you can do great and mighty things through these lives that so many times are so marred with mistakes, marred with bad choices, marred with pain and suffering. And, Lord, yet oh, all those things, our pain, our suffering, it's like our time in Midian. It helps us, Lord, to become who we need to become for the job that you've given us. There are people in this room today, Lord, that are broken, they are broken. And God, you can take their brokenness and God, you can restore them. And Lord, not only can you restore them, but God, then you can take their brokenness once it's restored and you can use it to reach out and touch the life of someone else who believes there is no hope. I know you chose the name for this church for a very specific reason and I praise you for that. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of what it is you're doing here. And I pray that you help us, Lord, to submit to your perfect will, that, God, you might receive glory in all that's done. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? <laughs> Pastor, I don't know that I, I understand what you were talking about. You said almost 18 years ago that you received Christ, that you changed your life. I mean, I'm religious. I believe in God. I, I read the Bible. I even pray. I know all about these things. I'm familiar with this. I've been in church my whole life, and it's wonderful. But you know what? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if your faith is built upon a religious experience, if it's based upon something that you go, you know what? I think I'm saved. I think I have a relationship with God, but you don't know for sure. The Bible says that ye may know that you have eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If you're here today and you know that you don't know that there's been a time in your life when you received Christ as your Savior, you made a conscious choice to recognize that you were lost, you knew that you were broken. You knew that your life was off track and you had that void in your heart. And if there was a moment in your life when you say, you know what? I called out to God. And by faith, I trusted Christ as my Savior. He came into my heart and he changed me. And I felt that puzzle piece lock in place. And it changed me. If you're here today and that's you and you say, you know what? I know I'm saved. That puzzle piece has fit in my heart and I know it without a doubt. Raise your hand as a testament to God. Nobody's looking around. Just raise it to God. Say, you know what? I'm saved. I know I'm saved. And I'm going to raise my hand as testament to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. With our heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I can't say that I've had that moment. I don't know. I know a lot about God, but I do not know him personally. There's never been a time in my life when I personally chose to receive Christ. I've never felt that puzzle piece fit into my heart. And I still have fear right now. When I think about my last breath, I'm afraid of where I might go. The Bible gives us a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A promise from God. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, you've never prayed and asked him to save your soul, you truly meant it with your whole heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. 
You don't gonna, it's not gonna be something public. I'm not gonna call you out. It's an opportunity for you to do this in your seat, in your heart, in your mind. This is between you and him. It has nothing to do with me. But I'm gonna lead you through prayer. And here's an opportunity. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. God's listening to your heart. And if you want to receive him right now as your savior, you have that choice to do it. We're not promised tomorrow. This could be our very last chance. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I'm going to pray out loud. And if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to have you receive or repeat that prayer in your heart, in your mind. If you're online, wherever you are, you can pray this prayer. It does not need, you do not need to be here. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ in your heart, in your mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I've hurt others. I've hurt myself. And I've hurt you. And I repent of my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you, Lord, to apply your blood to my sin and save my soul. I believe you have the power to save me. And I'm thanking you for doing it right now. Please come into my heart. Save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray.